Hello everyone. Cold open to let you know that the day has finally come. We now have a Patreon where you can support us and our endeavor if you have a bit of coin to spare. In return, you'll get some amazing perks like monthly bonus episodes, access to our Discord server, discounts from our merch store once it opens, and much more. Go check out patreon.com forward slash so you think you can rule Persia, all in one word, for more details on how to join. Okay, and now let's get to the episode. Hello, and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diokis to Yazdegerd III. I'm Serial, and my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Umberto, and my pronouns are he, him. So, hello everybody, and welcome to episode 38, which is the episode on Mithridates II. Will he be able to stem the tide of everything going wrong at the same time, or will he just be crushed under the infinite pressure that's bearing down on him? Serial, you weren't very optimistic last time. Has your opinion changed on what could happen? Listen, everything is on fire right now. And as much as I would love for him to be another Antiochus III, because that was a great surprise, mm-hmm. it was a surprise for a reason. Which is that usually <laughs> these things don't happen and things continue to be on fire while kings succeed other kings for a period of like one to two years. I am. Yeah, we haven't pain. had a great run so far. <laughs> I just, I want things to be better. Can we please get to like a better part of this empire, which seems well, to just be in it. decay? He might improve stuff. <laughs> You don't seem very convinced, so you know. (laughs) But please, tell me about Mithridates II. Yes, let's start by recapping what happened last time, so we all understand how on fire everything is. Bad. It's bad. It's bad, everyone. (laughs) So last episode was Artabanus II, where he sort of stabilized the West. That was nice. He got Karakina and Elamis as his vassals, so that worked well. But then he went to the east, and he found that there were so, so, so many nomads bursting through the borders, taking his cities, endangering Parthia itself, risking to tear apart the empire. Artabanus got into a fight with them, got killed by a poison arrow, and died. Yeah, very anticlimactic. Which is what happens when you're killed. Yeah. But yes. So, yeah. (laughs) After Artabanus' death, he leaves the throne... To a the closest guy right? who is a teenager called Mithridates, yes. Okay. We're not exactly sure of his age, but he's not an old experienced general. He's like late teens, early 20s. Also, are they related? Like, why, why this person? Well, okay, let's go through with it. So, well, first of all, sources are unclear exactly on how the family tree looks, but probably... I'm not surprised. Haven't been clear yes. in the last, like, three episodes, so... Yes. So probably Mithridates II was the son of Artabanus I, and so a younger brother of Artabanus II. So probably Hmm. was on campaign with his brother at the time when he got killed, and being the closest person with a minimum of authority, they said, You! You! Please save us! Oh my god, everything is on fire! I don't want the job! You have to have the job because you're his brother. Okay, bye. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's sort of where we are. And uh, he's a young man, we're not sure about the age, but eh, you can say, you know, let's say roughly 20s, that's a more fair estimate. And as we mentioned, now that the main Parthian army has been defeated in the east, all the west is rebelling because they smell blood in the water and it's time to take down Parthia and make sure there's the Karakinian Empire or Elimaisian Empire or Persian Empire, Mark II. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of stuff to deal with right now. Also, just to get it out of the way, there might have been an intermediate king between Artabanus and Mithridates, because... Oh, come on. There's, like, a set of coins for, like, six months after Artabanus' death that shows a young man with a different look to Mithridates. Okay. It could be either a young son of Artabanus II that died quickly without any information, or it could be just young Mithridates II running around 
in panic, saying, I don't have time for a new portrait. Just use whatever you want. I'll have stuff to do. Okay, bye. I'll be back in six months to maybe have a new portrait. Okay, good. Bye. I guess. So it could be either of those, but given that if there was an intermediate king, we don't know what his name was and he didn't leave anything of note done, I'm going to just assume that wasn't a real person and it was just young <laughs> A made-up person, you know, as opposed to and a real it. person. Yes. I'm going to assume the coin was just weird. Don't come at me, historians. You don't have anything to say about him either. <laughs> I tried. We have researched this. <laughs> Did what I could, damn it. Okay, so at this point... Mithridates is in charge of a defeated army, his brother's dead, the nomads are streaming into Iran, and he receives a letter from Jessica saying, uh, hey, Hispi and Karakine is attacking Babylon and wants to take Mesopotamia now, and that's where most of our money comes from, so... Help, maybe? Yes, please? I get that the nomads are around, but there's a lot of mountains in Iran, I guess those will sort of take care of the nomads for a while. Is that cool? <laughs> please? Uh, Mithridates, having seen his brother get killed, is presumably happy enough to just say, Okay, let's maybe leave this for a while. Let them cool down for a moment. I'll go to the west and deal with Hispi. Let's see how that goes. Hispi. Yes. Also known as Hisposines, if you're somebody who cares about names. So Mithridates heads over to the west, and he decides to quite meticulously take care of these vassal kingdoms. He passes through them, makes sure that they are loyal enough, or at least that his army is seen at that point, and that they know who's in charge. And he gets all the way to Babylon, and he finds that, well, luckily, Hispi hasn't really managed to take the city, and has just been raiding the countryside a little bit. Huh. So Mithridates can just push him back to Karakine, and Mesopotamia is sort of saved. So that's nice. That's positive. And then it seems that Hispi died around this time, leaving sort of a power vacuum in his kingdom, making it weak and unstable and not very organized. So Mithridates manages to just waltz in and make them his own vassals. So now they're sort of, we have a handle on them again, which is pretty good. You know, yeah, not I mean, much that detail, was but... lucky, you know, when the person that's threatening you just yeah. dies. You know, it's not that you killed him, yeah, but like, convenient. hey, I guess... Not a threat anymore. Thanks for timing yeah, your death so nicely. We appreciate it. Yeah, great plan by his speech to get out of the way. <laughs> also, we're told that there's some Arab raids in the region, in Mesopotamia. There's people coming out from Arabia and plundering hmm. the countryside, some smaller cities. It doesn't look like they're planning to stay. Looks like they're just trying to take what they can and leave. Fair enough. But Mithridates is busy. He can't deal with this. He just appoints some minor generals to deal with the raids, and then he looks all the way to the east and sees, oh no, everything is still so on fire, the empire could fall any second. I should maybe try and deal with this, please. Mm -hmm. When everything is bad, how do you choose what to focus on, you know? Yes, you choose what is the most terrifying option, <laughs> the fact that all your empire could be destroyed, or just a quarter of it. So, sure, it's a let's go with the life-threatening event. <laughs> yes. Do I flip the switch and lose all the empire, or no? What happens? So, yeah. There we go. So, Mithridates takes all the armies he can find. He scrapes together anything that can make sense. And in 119, he heads to the east to try and recapture the lands that have been occupied by the nomads, because, as we saw last time, they've been pushing into Parthia proper, and that risks separating the eastern and western halves of the empire, which means that one half would just fall off and be lost forever. And also, Mithridates' cousin, Phraates II, had been killed in battle, and his brother Artabanus II had been killed in battle, so it looks like he's going out for revenge also for his family, and also to restore the honor of the dynasty, because it hasn't been going great. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah, so we get a letter that he sent to Babylon to his governor saying, Hey, listen, I'm going east. I'm not just doing this for conquest or the survival of this empire, but also because I need to avenge my family members that have been killed by these people and make sure that they can't do this again. 
also, everything's on fire and I please need to fix things. This is, this is scary. So, off we go. And, Serial, what is your prediction for this expedition? Mithridates managed to deal with the West well enough-ish. I am very pessimistic today, given the fact that everything is on fire. So I'm going to say that, oh, he gets also killed. And that's our episode for the day. Well, we don't have much detail. Uh, great. Because so, so even Justin this. is a terrible historian and I hate him. Because Justin is just badly summarizing something that a much better historian wrote, but we don't have the original good stuff, so oh God. I guess we're stuck with Justin. Justin, you lazy bastard. Well, Justin tells us that Mithridates went to the east and absolutely kicked an ungodly amount of ass oh. against the nomads. Huh. Well, good, good job. He annihilates the threat of the Saka and the Yuejur, so thoroughly that they will not be doing anything for the next 200 years. Ooh, what? How did we manage to do that? Oh my god, Mithridates. And Justin gives us no detail. Okay. Nothing. He just says, he went east and won. It's like, yeah, but, but dude, but, but, but tell but, but me. But there's different kinds of vis- cool victories, you know? There's a victory of, oh, for the moment, like, we won a couple battles and it'll give us, yeah. like, a year or two of figuring out stuff. And another kind of winning is, yeah, we have obliterated this entire military culture <laughs> and we don't have to worry about them anymore. What? Yes, this existential threat is no longer there. Just give us some more detail, Justin. Why? Why? But, yes, uh, that, you know. That happened. <laughs> the nomads are gone. <laughs> what the heck? I mean, we could also just make something up and say, that something really cool happened and Mithridates managed to do it. He probably managed to go to the east, play different chieftains one against the other, then round up their armies into little mountain valleys that he could properly attack by surrounding them. He managed to maybe poison a bunch of chieftains at a dinner and then take their distraught armies and lead them away. Yeah, but like... Maybe he got friends we elsewhere. We don't know. Who knows? <laughs> something happened. Yeah, we just, we just don't know. It's just... Very sad, and why? Is this a case of, well, everyone knows about this victory, so I don't have to write about it? Like, I mean, it's two things. Well, it's, first of all, Parthian sources are oral, so there might have been a kick-ass epic poem about mm. this, which, you know, if you're gonna write an epic poem, you might as well do it about this. But, again, by the time these things are written down, it's been a thousand years since that happened, so... I mean, you don't really have much detail. You, there's not even the name of Mithridates anymore. It's just like, yes, there was a big war against the nomads. Mm. We won in the end. That was cool. But who is he? Eh? Did he maybe get merged into Rostam a little bit? We don't know. It's just kind of messy. Mm. And the problem is that the Roman, so you know, the Western sources, well, this Pompeius Trogus, who Justin is copying from, in theory, did write a nice big book describing everything that happened, yeah. but Justin doesn't care. Justin just said, yep, this happened. Justin is the same guy. This is the same case that happened with Antiochus the Great's oh Eastern God. Expedition. Yeah. Where Justin just says, yeah, I went to the East and that made him be called the Great. Uh, okay, done. Great. <laughs> Not on. that we would care about, you know, the yeah, literal so. origin of this nickname. Uh, not important. Jesus, Justin. Yeah, this is this is just not... I, I don't know, my, my this is like this is, this is copying a Wikipedia article for class and not even bothering to copying what is already <laughs> there that you don't have to research. It's just yes. like, oh, yeah. And then there was a paragraph about like some battle or other. Moving on. What? Yes. Justin asked ChatGBT to summarize <sighs> it. And it was like, yep, this will do. It'll be fine. Assignments due tomorrow. We can't waste our time on details. Jesus. That is depressing. But the good news is that Mithridates II is also called Mithridates the Great. Well, I am very impressed. I wish we he knew He is one of the two why. good Mithridates. Like... Yes, we get more detail. Don't worry, but not on this. Okay. But yeah, the little that we do know is that Mithridates drove the Yuejur away from their southern holdings in Bactria, which they only had as tributaries. There were no semi-independent mm -hmm. Greek cities. And he expelled them from the areas of the empire they were beginning to take over. 
and just push them back into the steppe or towards India a little bit. And at the same time, the Sakha had started to settle in Sakistan in eastern Iran, which is eventually be called Sistan. And Mithridates just basically made them his vassals. He just said, okay, you can keep staying here. I'm not going to exterminate you, but please pay taxes to me and fight in my armies and don't kick up any trouble. Right. Which seems to have worked well enough. Apparently he defeated them so thoroughly that they said, yes, please don't hurt us. We know we killed two of your kings and asked for tribute from you and conquered some of your land before, but things have changed. Please, we're, we're sorry. We're so sorry that we did that, actually. Sure would love to know more about that. Yes. <laughs> Poor Mithridates. But yeah, these conquests give Mithridates a nice mountainous border with the steppe in Bactria and Sogdiana, and that's nice and easily defensible, and that also sort of explains why there's not going to be any serious nomadic threats in that area for 200 years, because, well, Mithridates has secured a nice border, the main nomadic threats are gone, and there we go. And it also looks like Mithridates may have made some advances into the northern Indus Valley. Hmm. Just bringing us back to India for a while, which is always good. Back to India. Most of India. <laughs> At this point, Mithridates gets a letter. Where do you think this letter is coming from, Serial? Is it the West calling? Being like, hey. No, it's not. Oh. Okay, so what did Jessica bring? Well, Jessica is saying, uh, Mithridates, there's a visitor coming from out of the steppe. He's, uh, seems to be a messenger of some sort. Do you want to greet him or something? Mithridates takes his 20,000 best horsemen. Okay. And charges out to greet this one messenger. A bit overkill. But, okay. Bit overkill, but, you know, if you want to make a good first impression. Sure. It works Did out. Did Jessica know this person? You know, from the trade? <laughs> Maybe. Might have been a different one. They don't have a Rexipod yet. They might in the future. Oh. Because Mithridates takes this messenger, brings him to court, and the messenger introduces himself as Envoy Zhang Qian from the Middle Kingdom. Mithridates says, no, 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 Middle Kingdom, we're in the middle. You guys are to the east. That's not how it works. Yeah. We'll keep the Middle Kingdom name. You can be something else. What <laughs> else could we call you? Like, uh, we had a Qin dynasty. Is China okay? Okay, sure. China will do. You, Chinese messenger, what's your message? Okay, so like, just, yeah, no, I, let me disregard how you are naming yourself. I will give <laughs> you a name. That is no good manners. Yes, that's where the name China comes from, because like, yeah, I, I don't care. You're, just, just tell me what your, what your name is, people. Oh, I see, from the Qin dynasty. Yes. That's ridiculous. And that's why we get China and not Zhongguo, which is what they would call themselves. Hmm. Well, the letter that uh, Zhang Qian has is a letter from his celestial highness Han Wu Di, ruler of China and son of heaven, that is saying, hey, Mithridates, I heard you kicked an ungodly amount of ass in the steppe. Yep. I've also finished dealing with my nomads, the Xiongnu. Would you like to make a deal? Sure. We're entering a golden age for the Han Dynasty, and you seem to be stabilizing stuff. How about we trade? Wouldn't that be I'm cool? so impressed. Every time. Don't get me <laughs> wrong, I'm so happy. I just, my hopes were so low that this would go well. <laughs> yeah. There weren't many hopes. If Mithridates had failed, this is the end of the empire, but he did not fail. Damn, the stakes were that high. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Everything yeah. was terrible, so... Oh, goodness. It was poor, yes. And, well, Han Wu Di is saying, listen, how about we make this deal for trade? I take care of the nomads on my side of the steppe, you take care of the nomads on your side of the steppe. And then we can have this nice trade road going from uh, China all the way to Mesopotamia and Babylon. Oh. He says, we could trade something. We could trade silk. We could call it... Ooh, the Silk Road sounds like a catchy ah. name. Okay, let's make the Silk Road. Is this the origin? Yes. Oh. Ah! <laughs> the realization. <laughs> so, Yes! Here we have China and Parthia joining together to create the Silk Road and make sure that, hey, trade is going to flow oh now from one end of Eurasia to the next. Literally, the spice must flow. 
<laughs> Pretty much. And the great thing is that now this trade is going to move further west as well, eventually. And that means that Parthia is in the middle and has the most advantages out of anyone, because, you know, they can trade easily with the east and the west, they can have people pay tariffs on it if they pass through your lands. Right. And overall, the most important part of the trade is going through the center of the empire. So that's going to make everybody stinking rich. Everybody is going to have a great time now. This is a great idea. Messenger from yeah. the kingdom of the Chai <laughs> Dan- of the Chi dynasty, you know? <laughs> yes, those people. The, yeah, I, I know you said you have a name, but like, you know, apparently we don't care. Again, yeah, I mean, terrible manners. If you've looked at a map, we are the Middle Kingdom. You have an ocean on your side. That clearly makes you not the Middle Kingdom. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love that. Of course, the middle <laughs> depends on what map you're looking at. But that is a good point. That they do have an ocean. (laughs) I mean, if anyone's the Middle Kingdom, come on. So, there we go. And, yeah, so Mithridates uses a lot of the old Achaemenid roads in the Parthian Empire as part of this trade circuit. Because, well, they're damn good roads. They're part of this ancient empire. They're just renovated, ensure that all the trade can pass through them, and is very convenient. Nice. So we have now an uninterrupted line of trade going from Babylon all the way to Chang'an in China, which is pretty cool. And also just to, you know, dispel an impression you might have about the Silk Road. Like, I don't know about you, but my impression was that it was generally like people from one end just taking a bunch of baggage going from one area all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it usually happened. Like, the trade route, you didn't have to go from the beginning to end of, of it. What you, what you would do is essentially just use it to go from point A to point B. And then depending on how much money you have for guards and making sure your goods don't spoil or get ruined, you could go further and further. And, you know, clearly if you're selling your Chinese silks just across the border, they're going to cost less than if you sell them all the way in Syria. But that depends on how risk-prone you are, mm. how concerned you are with bandits or not. But essentially, what Hanwudi and Mithridates are doing is just deciding to make sure that they'll control the bandits, control the nomads, make sure that everything is in order so that as much trade as possible can flow through their empires, and everybody's going to be much richer for it. That's excellent. So, hooray! Wow, I am so impressed that we saved this. Not only saved this, but, like, made this cool deal that now gives us a period of Just riches and good economy? Yeah. How? (laughs) Everything is not on fire, and now you can even buy nice silks and cool spices. Isn't that great? And also, at the same time, this is the first time that sailors from Iran managed to use the monsoon winds for easier travel to the Indian Ocean. So now we also have trade via sea to India and Southeast Asia. Unbelievable. Which, also awesome. I am so impressed. Like, you have no idea. (laughs) This man has done a good job. I love getting surprises like this, you know? I love being (laughs) wrong and things going better than expected. Yes. I mean, Mithridates II is the Darius to Mithridates I, Cyrus. Right. He is fixing stuff, making sure it prospers. It is true, actually. Damn. Yeah. Which is why there's a problem, because... People argue over who should be called Mithridates the Great. Generally, they agree that it's this Mithridates, but the first one also deserved some praise. I mean, the first one started things, but it was good, don't get me wrong. But it was less impressive, if anything, because it was less of a leap. Yeah. And this is not only a leap to, like, oh, slightly better from terribly wrong, but to prospering from terribly wrong, which, you know... Yeah, it's a good time. But Mithridates, now in the east, after having talked to John Chan, he gets Jessica coming over and saying, um, happy that there's a trade route. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just those Arab raids that are continuing, oh, yeah. and that might jeopardize your trade. So could you maybe come and help with those, please? Thank you. So Mithridates goes to the west and manages to absolutely annihilate these raiders. What is up with Mithridates so and our army right now? Nothing. Like, what are we doing that we weren't doing before? I don't know. He is just probably very, very talented. It can't just be him, 
right? Like, it's not just, oh, he's a superhero, and so, like, we bring him into battle and he just kicks ass. Like, is it new strategies? Is it new soldiers that we got? Like, what are... I You know, it doesn't feel like new soldiers. Maybe now going to the West, he has, you know, some of these nomads he's incorporated into his army, which is a reasonable thing to do, also because they have a similar fighting style to your own men. But to start up with the nomads... I can assume that maybe it was also a good skill in diplomacy with actually, you know, pitting these people one against the other, maybe having one tribe side with you against another tribe because mm-hmm. they've been rivals for a while, and then you give them some bonuses, and then da, 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 and then you slowly grow your influence. But again, no detail because because reasons, and that's eh. But Mithridates manages to absolutely crush these raiders, and now for the first time in fifty years. Mesopotamia is at peace. What? We did it? Oh my god. (laughs) The Mesopotamians can just cultivate their farms without fear of being raided every other second. And now they can just be like, so I can plant things and eventually just like reap what I sow? That's that's incredible. I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) I thought the typical cycle was you plan something, they burn it down, you try and plant it again, they burn it down again. And then repeat forever. Until you die prematurely because you have no food. But no, it worked well. That's cool. What the heck? Yeah. I am so impressed, especially because I asked you. Like, I knew this would be a somewhat <laughs> important episode, but I also asked you how long it was going to be. And it didn't seem that long. So I'm just like, okay, I guess. But that has to do with sources, I assume. <laughs> That's just with terrible, terrible God. sources. Yes, unfortunately, that is not our deal. But hey. I am so impressed. I cannot believe we're here. And get ready to be more impressed. <laughs> right, because we're not done. <laughs> because Mithridates is not done. Because at this point, Mithridates looks to the West and tries to figure out what is there? What exists in the West? <laughs> well, guess what? There's some people called the Romans who f***ed us over before. Um, would you like Ooh, to well. visit them? Well, we are going to get our first contact between Parthia and Rome this episode, so stay tuned. But first of all, Mithridates looks to the west and sees that there are two kingdoms. Two main ones. There's the rotting corpse of the Seleucid Empire in Syria, destroying itself. Yes, they're still trying to be a thing. And then he looks at this brand new spanking kingdom called Armenia. They're in the Caucasus, and they're a very important kingdom because they control a lot of different mountain passes that connect Anatolia, Syria, Media, and Mesopotamia. So if you have control over Armenia, that means that you have a nice insurance over the whole area. You know where to go. Also, you might want to remember Armenia because they'll be important for the next 500 years. Uh, yeah, I see. You know. They're just a tiny bit important. Also, another advantage of having Armenia is that they essentially shield you from the nomads north of the Caucasus. If you remember, the Scythians under Phraortes came down through the north of the Caucasus, like, 500 years ago. (laughs) And that's always an issue. If you control those mountain passes, you are safe. So, at the turn of the century, Mithridates invades Armenia and defeats their king. So, check... And he gains the prince Tigranes as a hostage. Tigranes is going to be important for a while. Because a few years later, in 96 BC, when the previous king of Armenia dies, Mithridates invades Armenia again and installs his puppet king Tigranes on the Armenian throne. I see. Tigranes is going to be called Tigranes the Great. Ah, not bad for a puppet king. Yeah, exactly. If you have a guy called the Great as your puppet king, you're doing well for yourself. Yeah, damn. And in exchange for being given a throne, Tigranes officially becomes Mithridates' vassal and also gives him the so-called 70 Valleys. It's a whole series of different important mountain passes on the border between Parthia and Armenia, which are now fully Parthian. And furthermore, Tigranes' daughter marries the son of Mithridates, a man called Gatarzes, which you'll want to remember for the future. Okay, I'll make a note. Okay, so now Armenia's our vassal. That's great. So Mithridates turns his gaze towards the Seleucid Empire, and he sees that they've just been in a constant state of civil war since we left them. 
they're currently in a civil war right now, so Mithridates decides to just conquer all of the bits of the empire that are falling off the Seleucids, and he just takes the kingdoms of Adiabene, Gordiene, and Oshroene as his vassals, bringing the border of the Parthian Empire all the way to the Euphrates River. Damn. And this is going to be a very important border because it'll be there for a while, it's going to be relevant. So now, finally, finally, Mithridates, after having annihilated all his rivals, he can rest a little bit and make sure he sees how to organize his empire. Because he notices that, well, yes, trade is flowing well and there are no bandits along the roads, the roads are well maintained, everything is going as well as it could. He's truly Darius the first. Like, <laughs> th- it just really, like... Yeah, same, he's doing same. such a good job. <laughs> my boy. <laughs> my boy is doing so well. Ah, oh, good man. Yeah, yeah, he's just remaking everything. He's like, okay, so image, I did everything sure in works. my very important priority to-do list. And I did great, so now I have some extra time. So let's just continue improving the empire. Yeah, exactly. Let's figure out some bureaucracy now. Yeah, exactly. So... What he does is he makes sure that the empire is better governed. He moves his capital west into Media from the original area in the old kingdom of Parthia. So shifting influence to the west because, well, we need to keep an eye on that. And hey, the nomads have been annihilated, so Mm -hmm. don't need to worry about that so much anymore. And he also kept Ecbatana as his summer residence like the Achaemenids did due to the fact that it's high in altitude, cool in temperature. It snows sometimes, so... You know, for summer, that's a nice place to be. And Mithridates also finally reintroduces the title of King of Kings. Ah, let's go. And he recrowns himself because Mithridates I had used the title, Mm -hmm. but it seems like it was something just only reserved to him and not his successors because Phraates and the Artabanuses didn't use it. They just. They were just regular kings, which, you know, fair enough. Yeah, I don't think we could call ourselves king of anybody at that point. Yeah, it was just like, eh, we're scraping by. But no, Mithridates makes himself king of kings. Yeah, let's go. And makes sure that he presents himself as sort of an inheritor of an imperial legacy. We're not sure how closely he identified as the heir to the Achaemenid Empire. It certainly wasn't like the main idea of Parthia to be the heirs of the Achaemenids. But there are some hints that Mithridates is trying to show himself You know, if not the heir of the Achaemenids, at least the heir of these ancient kings of old. Okay. Because remember Darius's Behistun inscription? The one where he says all the kings he defeated? Right. Yes, well, Mithridates carves his own relief next to it. Oh my god. (laughs) Yep, honestly, like, (laughs) this is a man worthy of being... Darius's successor. Like, this is when someone takes an old king's name, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to be called Cyrus now. Like, this is what they hope to achieve. (laughs) Yes. And Mithridates has achieved it. So he carves this nice relief next to Darius's, where he shows himself as king of kings, two governors next to him, and then shows his son and heir, Gatarzes, who is there named as Satrap of Satraps. So. Basically his vice king. I am so impressed. Like, I just, I don't know what to say. I'm so happy that things are not on fire anymore. (laughs) At last. (laughs) Finally. Everything is so good. Yeah, and also just following his predecessors, Mithridates makes sure to present himself as the friend of the Greeks in his iconography. Telling the Greeks, hey, you know, just because I've annihilated all my threats doesn't mean that I'm going to persecute you. Mm-hmm. Feel free to enjoy my new empire. Huh. Hey, did you see this new Silk Road I made? Wanna trade? Would you like to trade on it? Yeah. That'd be cool. And so he does that, but also he represents himself as an Iranian ruler. And for the first time in his coins, he does not have a diadem, but he has a new jeweled tiara oh. that you'll be seeing. Excellent. Yeah, because we... Which is a fancy new look We have nothing to do to with the Hellenistic Macedonian version of this, right? Like, why would we? We're just like... A separate people, so he's decided to have this fresh new look. Excellent. But wait, there's more. Ooh. Because, as you mentioned so astutely last time, Rome still exists. Yeah. So what about them, huh? 
The Romans have been expanding ever east, and they now have a significant chunk of land in Anatolia. And they have several subject kings. You know, you'll remember what happened under the Seleucids. There were a bunch of little regional rulers in Anatolia with their own kingdoms. Well, now they pay tribute to Rome. And hearing all of this, Mithridates is convinced enough to send an embassy to the Romans and make sure everybody understands which side of the Euphrates you're meant to stay on. Mm-hmm. So Mithridates sends an embassy in 96 BC to Lucius Cornelius Sulla. Ah. Right. Which, yes, he is not dictator yet, but he is Marius's future rival, who at the moment is governor of Roman Cilicia, and was in charge of dealing with the kings of the area. And they decide to make a nice deal. So the Parthian ambassador goes over and says, how about this? Everything to the east of the Euphrates is ours. Everything is Parthian. Don't touch it. Don't try it, Romans. Not touchy. We've heard of what you guys are like. I'm serious. Yes. Don't don't try. We know we know you. We've heard tales. The Seleucids told us. <laughs> the ghost of Antiochus the third just <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we had a seance. We know how bad you can be. Let's let's not let's not go there, please. And the ambassador says, Okay, everything west of the Euphrates, sure, do whatever. That's fine. But it looks like the Parthian ambassador messed up. Oh. We're not sure exactly how. It might be that the ambassador allowed himself to be treated as an inferior by Sulla, Hmm. which made Parthia appear weak. Hmm. Because according to Plutarch, Sulla had three chairs placed with him. And the Parthian ambassador was on one side, the king of Cappadocia was on the other side. And Sulla, who wasn't even a consul, he was just a praetor just sat in the middle between these two kings as an equal. I see. Two kings are representative kings, so that didn't look great. Another alternative is that maybe the ambassador wasn't meant to just give everything west of the Euphrates to the Romans. Mm -hmm. He was meant to say, you know, everything east is ours, everything west is a gray area we'll deal with when we come to it. So whatever he did, it seems that when the ambassador got home, he was executed for the way he handled things. Well, I mean, because I was thinking while you were saying, like, oh, there's this ambassador. I Like, you can't communicate back to the king. Like, it would take forever to get a message back and forth, which is why you send yeah. a capable person to do these things. But then you are very much making decisions in the name of a king that is going to affect the entire kingdom or empire in this case, right? So, yeah, yeah that, that feels like a tall order. That if you mess up, <laughs> you're not going back from and getting hired somewhere else. Like, that's, that's, yeah. You know, that's also why you might need to take this execution with a pinch of salt. Because this matches very well with the Roman picture of Eastern kings being murderous and cruel pointlessly. And saying, ah, for the smallest insult, they'll just execute anyone. I mean... Because, oh, look at me, I'm a scary Easterner. Smallest insult, I don't know if I would call it that. Um, but yes, you know, since we do not be. have many details, we don't really know why. Yeah, I mean, it could be that it happened, but it does also fit within the Roman tradition yeah. of how they paint Eastern kings. Yeah. So, eh, we'll see. But Mithridates didn't really sit on his laurels of this negotiation because he decided to strengthen ties to his neighbors. So he managed to strengthen his ties to the king of Armenia, Tigranes the Great, who was his vassal, make sure that everything is nice and stable there. And also he made an alliance with another king called Mithridates, Mithridates VI of Pontus, Hmm. who was basically raising himself at the time as the main anti-Roman guy in Anatolia. Good, we like that. Yes, he made sure that everything was trying to kick the Romans out of Asia, telling them to go back to their own continent. (laughs) We have this, please. And yeah, it looks like Mithridates at this time was just taking control of Cappadocia and Cilicia and the southeast of Anatolia, you know, trying to kick the Romans out as much as they could right now that they're dealing with the whole Marius being Marius in the West. This is, this is the time period we're in. And now we come to the end of Mithridates' reign, the ending part of it at least, because this is when we dip our toes into the Parthian Dark Age. 
because this has been the period where we had lots of sources. Mm-hmm. Where we are going, we only have coins, oh, no. and we just look at the coins and say, ah, he's wearing a slightly different hat. This probably means he went to the east. Ah, he's not wearing a beard. That's weird. Not sure why he's a king now. Hmm. So that'll be what we're dealing with no. for the next few episodes. But don't worry, we'll be talking about what's happening with the anti-Roman coalition, so there'll be entertainment, don't worry. So we can see an example of this during the end of Mithridates' life, because we have a series of coins showing up. There are coins of his son Gotarzes in Babylon in 91 BC. Okay. And they are roughly contemporaneous to some coins of Mithridates. So there are two theories. One is that Gatarzes rebelled against his father in his last years and either managed to kill him and take the throne, or he rebelled and then Mithridates eventually died, mm-hmm. and then Gatarzes took the throne. Or it could be a more benevolent view, where Mithridates just appointed his son as co-king to make sure right. the succession would yeah. be smooth, and that's why we have their same coins at the same time. That makes sense. Yeah, it looks like it might be more the second one, because that it was more peaceful. Knowing Mithridates and... Yeah, knowing that Mithridates has done such a good job so far, it seems weird that somebody would rebel against him. And also we have a letter that Gatarzes sent to Babylon, where he announces that, oh, my father died and I am now king. And that would be weird if he were rebelling. Yeah. You know, could make sense, but meh, a bit weird. And also another thing that is mysterious if it happened before or after Mithridates' death is that... There seems to be a rebellion in the east by the son of Mithridates I, a man called Sinotruches, who tried to take the throne, but seems to have only had some minor influence in the east at this time. But no matter what the case, I assume it probably happened after Mithridates' death because, you know, that's the one that makes most sense if he was doing the job that he was doing. Hmm. So we'll see what happens. But in any case... It seems to be roughly in 91 BC that Mithridates II, Mithridates the Great, dies after having consolidated the empire at last beyond any other local power, establishing himself as a third pole between Rome and China, having this great trade route going through the empire, having consolidated everything, and this closes up the first phase of Parthian history, because up until now it was not certain that Parthia was going to be the one to win in Iran and become the empire that would be here for a few centuries. After Mithridates II, we know it's Parthia. There's no other option. He's eliminated every other choice, and we're here to stay for a while. And that's it. That is the end of Mithridates II's life. Wow. What are your thoughts, Ariel? That was very impressive. That was really cool. (laughs) Like single-handedly took a crumbling empire and first solidified it or like essentially protected it from all the ongoing threats at the same time Mm -hmm. then consolidated it by helping the economy and having trade and agreements with other kingdoms then expanded it by taking back the things that the Seleucids were just you know, kind of losing at that point. (laughs) Yes. And then also consolidated even further by having some important diplomacy and relations and marriage. Like, it. I also just economically, bureaucratically, like everything is working now. So I'm just, what? And he also secured a smooth succession so that things wouldn't crumble when he died. I am so proud. Yep. That's great. Everything is nice and clean and done. (laughs) Nice pretty bow wrapped around it. This really is a king that does deserve the nickname the Great. Like, I can see this. Yes. He's a good man. Yeah, also, just to emphasize, it's going to be called the Parthian Dark Age just for lack of sources. Yeah, Because the Romans will be busy with their Marius and Sulla civil wars and all that sort of thing, so they won't care enough to write. But the Empire is doing well. It's just a dark age because of sources. Because we do not have much to go off of. Yeah, unfortunately. But Mm. I I did my best. (laughs) I did my best, I promise. (laughs) Thank you. We appreciate your work. 
but yeah, so are you ready to rate him, Serial? I am. And see how far he gets. Oh, excellent. Okay, so our first category is final moments. How interesting was his death? Not very. I'm just proud that he made sure that there wouldn't be a civil war when he died. That's important. But I don't think that yes. comes towards an interesting death, so... No, it's not very flashy. He, yeah, we don't get any details because he dies at the beginning of the Dark Age, so... Eh, he didn't really do anything that we can... No, I don't know if you want to give him points for being the first king in a while to not die in, in ruins, but otherwise, eh, pretty nice. I'm gonna give him, like, one point for the fact that he died when everything was nice and organized and stable. Just a token point, I, I think I'm not gonna, it's worth something. This is not an interesting death. I feel like it's also Fair the enough. only part where he's not gonna get any points, so it's fine. <laughs> I think I can do that. Okay, I'll stick with a 1. So, with a 1 and a 0, we get a 0 0.5 out of 10 for final moments. Our next category is Battle Hardness. How good was he at war and fighting? Great. Apparently uh, amazing. We don't know how, but like, you know. Yeah, as mentioned, he kicked an ungodly amount of ass. He managed to annihilate the Eastern Nomads. They won't be a problem for 200 years. You have to do something pretty significant to have something stop being a problem for 200 years. That's a lot. So he destroyed them, he conquered the East, maybe took a bit of India, conquered all of Bactria, made sure that was a nice secure border. Then in the West, he managed to stamp down on the last ambitions of Karakine and Hispi, make sure that they're not going to be a threat anymore, they're now just a small part of your massive empire. Let's just keep going. Like, incredible. Yes. He then marched into Armenia, took over all of Armenia, put his own puppet king, Tigranes the Great, as, as puppet king of Armenia, managed to get those lands, he managed to go against the Seleucids, fix a nice border on the Euphrates, he managed to ensure that there would never be, at least in his lifetime, or a hundred years, a threat from the Arab raiders that were starting to attack Mesopotamia, he brought peace to Mesopotamia for the first time in 50 years. Downsides are that he didn't conquer the world, but frankly, can you blame him for it? <laughs> I, I, I don't have any downsides. I'm trying to think, why not a 10? Because so far, our only 10s were Alexander the Great and Seleucus I. Darius the Great got a 9 because some things didn't go great for him. We didn't... Did we lose any battles? No, yeah, I, nothing was lost. So? The only downside, I would say, is the lack of sources. And we don't know the details. But the lack of... Like, the only thing that we have in these very small sources that do not give us details on how the battles went is this was great, and now he's called the great because of what he did. <laughs> also, these people don't show up 200 years because of this. Like... <laughs> I feel like we can, yeah. yes, you know, we can agree that it went fine. <laughs> yes, I'm, yeah, I think I'll have to give him a 10. Yes, I uh, agree. I, I would feel bad not giving it to him. He deserves it. He did a good job, my dude. So I would say I'm going for a 10. Serial, are you matching? Yeah, yes, of course. Nice. If not him, who are we going to give a 10 to? You know, <laughs> yeah. apart from, you know, Alexander, whatever. <laughs> sure. But at least we made an empire, we didn't destroy it. But yeah, so with a 10 and a 10, we get a 20 out of 20 for battle hardness. The third 20 that we've ever got. And the highest score for an Iranian king. Yep. Which is intense. Our next category is scheminess. How good was he at plots and manipulations? He didn't scheme too much, honestly. He took the throne, did a good job, continued ruling the empire. Yeah, I mean, there isn't much schemey, really. His negotiations with China and Rome were all just, like, regular diplomacy. You could maybe give him maybe, like, a little point for... You know, in his first war with Armenia, getting Tigranes as a hostage and then putting Tigranes on the throne. 
afterwards that was clever and questionably legal. But I'd say that's the main point of scheminess. Like, he's a Darius, but less schemy. Yeah. I'm not sure if you can think of anything else well, that we're going to I would give him pretty high. Direction. Like, I mean, I guess we just do not have the details, which is the problem here. Yeah, that's pretty much it, unfortunately. But we could put because him almost I, on seen... par with Darius in, like, how well everything was organized, oh, yeah. right? In quality, yes, but he didn't rewrite history yeah, yeah. to make sure he was the legitimate king yeah, all along. Yeah, yeah. No, amazing. Darius is still has, like, the king of scheminess, for sure. <laughs> like, the, we cannot take yes. that crown from him. Yes, he deserves it. Mithridates, maybe that thing with Armenia, everything else is all just regular diplomacy. Yeah. I'm willing to give him a token point for the kidnapping a prince and then putting him on the throne as your vassal. That's, you know, that's worth something. How about you, Sarah? What are your thoughts? I feel like two points is fine. Two points feel more... Okay, so you're giving him two? Yeah. I don't know, it's just one feels too little. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really see anything. But that... it makes sense to, like, your reasoning. Mm-hmm. I just... I'm going off of the vibe. And the vibe to me is that's too little. Okay, fair enough. So we'll stick with one and a two which make a 3 out of 20 for scheminess. Our next category is shock factor. How shocking was this man? Uh, he has some moments. <laughs> he has his moments. First, not sure if you want to give it shocking points, but he took an empire from the abyss and made it into the hegemonic power of the continent. But, you know, he made sure that now Eurasia has Rome, Parthia, and China. Those are the main powers. Everything else is minor. Mm -hmm. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. As shocking, you could say that he sent 20,000 horsemen to greet this one messenger, <laughs> which must have been a bit of a heart attack moment for him, but it worked out in the end. Mm -hmm. Shocking is that he did something so intense to the nomads that they disappear for 200 years yeah we don't know what it don't was don't know what it was yeah. but something happened something sufficiently terrifying happened another shocking is that he managed to well uh, you could say that he made a deal with rome and then executed the, the messenger the envoy let's say the diplomat which you know kind of uncool but i guess so he did that I don't know if you want to put the fact that he, sort of the iconography where he makes himself king of kings and carves his own carving next to the one that of Darius. That is such a power saying, move. Hey, look! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Which, you know, strong. If you can pull that off. Yep. Mad respect. So I wouldn't say it's the most shocking, but there is something there. Yeah. I guess it depends on how much you want be, to put like, the flexes I guess. as, as, I guess a, a as shocks, bit. yeah. I also just want to know what he did to the nomads. Like what was that no, about? We don't we don't know. They just stop appearing in the sources for Especially a while. Especially because having no sources <laughs> and having no details makes it look worse or like more intense than maybe it was in the sense of like we don't like you can imagine anything <laughs> right yes i mean you, you could just read the shahnameh and the war against the turanians and just be like yep this is mithridates absolutely kicking butt presumably we don't know yeah. we have no details but hey that's an oral source of fighting against the nomads and it sounds cool mm -hmm. so yeah i'm not sure how much you want to give so here's my split. I'd say a couple points for the Annihilation. <laughs> one point for the 20,000 horsemen <laughs> charging at the One Messenger. Another point for killing his own envoy. And I think that's it. I don't feel like I could give any more without the details, unfortunately. No, oh wait, no. And also one extra point for the Darius matching. Yeah, yeah. So that would give me like a five. I... I think because of the mythology of what might have happened and just what we've yeah, gathered from the little sources that we have. Sure. Five seems fine. I thought it was going okay, higher, but he wasn't like, it was just good, cool decisions. It was shocking in the fact, actually, I'll give it a six because it was shocking in the fact that I did not okay. expect this at all. 
Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Fair. The empire still standing and much better than it's been in like the past century. What? Yes. Oh, also, Serial, remember that I told you that this was the century with most successions, with most crises? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's over. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> we made it! <laughs> We're free now. We made it out the other end <sighs> of the second century. I'm gonna cry. We've been in the second century for the past... Whoop! Twelve episodes. <laughs> now it's gone. <laughs> this is not how things should go. But yeah, so shock factor with a 5 and a 6, we get an 11 out of 20. Unbelievable. Next category is Eren Shine. How good was he for the Empire ten. in general and Iran in particular? A 10. Yes, Just a 10. Fine. But let me list the reasons why he gets a 10. So when Mithridates took the throne, the Empire was going to be destroyed by nomads in the east and Hispi in the west. At the end of the Empire, at the end of his reign, the Empire is strong and stable. He has had a long reign. There are generations of people who exist and don't remember anything but Parthian reign now. And the Parthian reign they've had has been glorious. The Empire extends from the Euphrates to the Indus. The Silk Road exists now. That's a thing. The Nomads aren't going to be a threat for 200 years. We have trade with China. The Romans have recognized our borders on the Euphrates. We have Armenia. We have many tiny border kingdoms that have been taken from the Seleucids. The Seleucids are very scared of us. We've moved the capital to the west for its media, centralizing the empire. Mithridates is the king of kings. He is a friend of the Greeks. He is reestablishing trade routes, reestablishing cities, reestablishing himself as a full on ruler of an empire. He has left a good, stable succession behind him under his son Gatarzes. He has not failed anywhere. <laughs> Everything he has touched has succeeded. He's done it. There is nothing else you could imagine that would be better. This is the one little thing that Mithridates I was missing. Just ensuring that the Empire works. So, I think no one will complain if we give him his fully deserved 10 and a 10, which gives him a 20 out of 20 for Eren Shine. Something only achieved previously by Cyrus the Great and Darius the Great. Yep, that's what I figured. He deserves it. Honestly, Antiochus III it. would also have deserved it if the Romans hadn't come along. But, you know, you can't win them all. Yeah. If Antiochus III still got a 17, which is yeah. honorable, but yeah, the Romans messed him up, unfortunately for us. So, congratulations, Mithridates. 20 out of 20. Our next category is Face of Faces. What do you think this man looked like? I'm working on it. What does our King of Kings appear to you? Okay, so Serial has finished their drawing of Mithridates, and let's have a look at what they've cooked up for us. Ooh! That's, that's strong. I love it. That's, ooh. Ooh. Ooh, good. I had to figure out how to, you know, portray this, yeah, this yeah, greatness. Yeah. Strong. So. Yeah, nice. Let me set the scene for you, listeners. What we have is a globe showing Eurasia. There's Europe in the west, the rest of Asia in the east, as it normally is. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't change the geography for my drawing. Thank you. <laughs> yep, that's, that's good. And then there's a sky full of stars with auroras left and right. and Well, the auroras represent yes. silk and the spices from the Oh, trade. good. Silk and spices, of course. And in the middle, we have Mithridates in his traditional Parthian garb. He has this nice shirt with a belt holding everything together. He has a necklace at his neck. He has a nice beard and mustache, very well-groomed man. He has a nice jeweled tiara on his head. And to his left and right, he is holding... Hands with, presumably, China and Rome, as he is the merger of all of the continent. And upon the atmosphere, there is written Philhellenos Soter Basileus Megas, which is friend of the Greeks, savior, king of kings. Which is what he deserves. The man deserves to look awesome. Yeah. So, thank you, Serial. That looks very kick-ass. You're welcome. And it's what he would deserve, <laughs> and it's what he would have wanted. 
So, listeners, as usual, you can find it on our website under Serial's Portrait Gallery, or click the link that you find at the bottom of the episode. And now, Serial, time for you to see what he actually looked like in this one coin. Although, I will preface, there are some coins where he has a diadem, but I've chosen the one which is more interesting because it's new. Yeah. The earlier coins. We've seen diadem. enough diadems. So here you go. Oh my goodness. Tell us. <laughs> yes. Okay. I see what you meant with the very hooked nose. <laughs> I feel like this has yes. been exaggerated the for the nose. coin. But I guess that was his most prominent I mean, feature. still. You know, it's something he wanted to be depicted with. You know, he's, he wasn't going to be depicted with something he was insecure about. That is so fun. Also, the hat is so <laughs> nicely decorated. I love the pattern. It's good. Okay, so it's a coin. He's on the first side of the coin. He's, it's a profile portrait looking to the left of this man with like... The hat he's wearing is similar to the one I depicted. So it's a hat with like ear coverings and slightly long at the back. And it's just... It goes across the forehead and it's all decorated with little like pearls or, you know, small round jewels it's very pretty Mm -hmm. it has decorations in the shape of like flowers and such and he's also wearing some decorated robes like also have some kind of jewels on them he's got a very protruding hooked nose that is like has a very interesting shape you'll have to see the coin to see it and then a a pointy beard kind of like the one i drew so you know it wasn't that off and then on the other side there's a depiction of him like full body kind of we've seen before with like holding a bow i assume yeah it looks and uh, dressed in like the same hat and some tunic shirt outfit and pants and it's surrounded by text which is carved in a really fun way like it's all filled with little dots i don't know if that's just part of how the coin was yeah, minted, not sure why right? that is but it looks fun i like it yeah but it looks very cool I like this. This is very interesting. A very interesting portrait, a bit different portrait. Yeah, I think it's nice because, well, his face is very nice and memorable. Yeah. It's cool. Whenever I see a coin, it's like, ah, yes. It's this guy. That's, that's who yes. you are. <laughs> yes. Very, like, unmistakable. Yeah, I like the addition of the jewel tiara. That's fun. That's, yes, like a very um, intricate coin design. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you look at its size, it's like, you know, your thumb, which is... Yeah. Very, very detailed for, for its size. So Love this. Cool. I really like it. Yeah, I'm going to go for like uh, eight. Eight. Um... I know we said we were a bit bored about like of coins and such, but this is a different coin. So I appreciate that it looks... Yeah, it's slightly different. It has its own look. I feel like if I saw his face on a coin, I'd be like, oh, it's this guy. Like I, I would be able to recognize if I saw a coin. Yeah, it's memorable like enough. It's not the millionth coin that's the same, but it's like... Because oh, with yes, the other yeah. guys, I'd be like, oh, I would need to call an expert and be like, who do you think this is? But if I saw this coin, I'd immediately yeah. be like, oh, this is a Persian Empire Mithridates coin. Yes. So I'm going to join you with an eight. And an eight and an eight gives us a four out of five for face of faces. Fun. Our next category is lengthiness. How long do you think this man reigned? From the empire's on fire, oh no, oh no, to everything is beautiful. Honestly, I guess way longer than I expected. Uh, But now I do not have a reference of how long that might have taken. I'm going to say we didn't have that long of a reign usually, right? Like we had the longest with our first king, which was a bit out of the... Our past reigns were four years, one year, five years. That doesn't count. Yeah, Mithridates I ruled from the start of his reign about 30 years. Okay. Yeah, I was going to go with 20, but I don't really know. No, because he started as a young man, and then he just died, I assume, of old age. Like, I don't think he died in battle. So, yeah, maybe more like 30 years at least. Well, Mithridates II, Mithridates the Great, ruled 31 years. I'm surprisingly From 122 good at this. to 91 BC. <laughs> you can add that skill in your yeah, transferable gonna, skills. Can estimate reigns. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That gives us a total of 3.1 out of 5 for lengthiness. The longest reign we've had since Antiochus the Great. I mean, are you surprised? <laughs> I don't know. Not really. And so at last, that leads us to the final score, which is a total of 61.6 out of 100, which makes Mithridates the Great 
our fifth highest scorer, just under Seleucus I and above Artaxerxes III. Amazing. So, he has done a good job. Yep. The main downside is that he's not a horrible, schemy monster. Which, you know, how (laughs) much of a downside is that? (laughs) If you're living in his time, pretty awesome. I mean, he beat Cyrus. Amazing. Which is I love this guy. Excellent episode. He deserves a lot. Which means that our next question probably has a clear answer. Is he glorious enough? Saving the Empire enough? <laughs> foundational enough to be called a Shahan Shah? Or did we just forget everything and call him a Shahan Nah? You know, of course he's a Shahan Shah. Are you kidding me? Like, if yes. he doesn't get it, then who he does? Is. Yeah. It's excellent. There's no argument to be made that he does not deserve it. He is fully a Shahanshah. He can go to the Paradise Gardens to, well, meet Darius the Great and, you know, be like, hey, I did what you did, but after. Yeah. And he can meet his predecessor, Mithridates I, and say, your successors almost destroyed the Empire, but I fixed it. Don't worry. It's okay. It'll still be around. Yeah. It was difficult there for a minute, but we figured it out. Yeah, worked out. So congratulations, Mithridates. You are truly Mithridates the Great. And that leads us to the end of our episode. So thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode where things actually went well for once. That was cool. And if you are interested in, well, supporting us in general, as we mentioned earlier, we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash so you think you can rule Persia. And there you'll be able to listen to stories of the people around here. If there's some names that you thought were interesting mentioned throughout this time, Those can be proposed. There can be episodes on them. That'll be fun. Come join us. We're nice people. (laughs) And if instead you'd rather not give us money, you can also just review us on your podcast app of choice and tell people, hey, they exist and they talk about cool people. Go listen as well. So we appreciate all kinds of support. It's always great. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, you can join us next week to figure out how the Empire continues after Mithridates, if it keeps working or if it fails. But for now, we hope you have a nice week, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.